Thanks to HoneyBook for supporting the Productivity Show. If you run your own business, you're used to doing it all. But if you're struggling to get through your to-do list, HoneyBook can help. Go to honeybook.com TPS for 50% off your first year. Thanks to Grammarly for supporting the Productivity Show. Grammarly is a communication tool that helps people improve their writing to be mistake-free, clear, and effective. Start writing confidently by going to grammarly.com TPS to get 20% off a Grammarly premium account today. Welcome to The Productivity Show, a podcast by Asian Efficiency to help you maximize your productivity so you can get the important things done without having to sacrifice your health, family, and things that matter to you. We've helped tens of thousands of people save time, be happier, and become more productive. Today, I'm joined by Catherine Fan, a senior writer for The Points Guy, one of the leading websites on travel. She has flown a million miles in her lifetime, so she knows a thing or two about traveling productively and efficiently. That's what we're diving into today and how she does it while staying productive on the road. You can find links to everything that we share in the show notes by going to theproductivityshow.com slash 271. And now, on with the show. So with me today, I have Catherine Pham. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Tan. How are you? I'm glad we are recording here at my place here in Austin, Texas, and that we can sit right across from each other and do this podcast today. And I'm excited to talk about travel today, about your story, about all sorts of productive things that you have going on. But before we get into that, one of the things we always like to do is we like to start off with our top three favorite resources. So what are some of your top three favorite resources as of lately? Sure. Actually, it's pretty rare that we're both sitting here in the same city because you and I both travel a ton. So it's very on brand for what we're doing right now. Some of the things that have been keeping me energized on the road this year are I'm a senior writer for The Points Guy, which is a website focused on travel. So that is always my number one go to for anything related to travel hacks, great items or hotel brands, airlines to follow or ways to maximize the stuff I'm already spending money on to make sure I get free points and miles to travel for free. So that's probably one of my first resources. Lately, I've been getting really into this tool called the Enneagram. You've probably heard of it or heard someone mention it before. It's not really a personality test. It's something that a lot of psychologists and organizations and uh, churches, families are using to better understand themselves and their motivations, as well as the people in their lives that they care about or have friction with. For number three, I would say currently I'm really into the Kindled Audible phone app. I love reading, but it kind of became ineffective to carry all my books around with me. And I can't keep track of a separate device and keep it charged. So I read all my Kindle books on my phone. And I very belatedly discovered the ability to sync up Kindle to Audible. So if I'm trying to get some chores done but want to keep up with my book, I just switch it over to Audible and it starts reading from the page I last left off at. So that's one way in which I've been finding a lot of efficiency in my life right now. Nice. I love that list. Thank you. So we'll have uh, links to all that in the show notes. So uh, Catherine, can you introduce yourself to everybody that's listening today? Tell us a little bit about who you are and what you're up to. Yeah, absolutely. My name is Catherine Fan. I am a senior writer for The Points Guy, as I mentioned before. I worked in tech for the first decade and some of my career before transitioning back to my roots as a journalist. 
And I spent nine years in Taiwan from the fifth grade up until I came back to the U.S. for college. So I'm what you would call a third culture kid. I don't really know how to stay put in one place. So I'm grateful I found a job that lets me travel. Have you ever heard of the traveler's curse? I have not. What is that? Tell me about it. So this is something that everybody will experience when you travel a lot. And it's the whole idea that it becomes so difficult to settle down somewhere. Uh-huh. Because anytime you settle down somewhere, when you have a lot of experience of traveling around and seeing the world and seeing different places, you can see the good and the bad in everything. So Absolutely. for example, being in Austin right now, yes, you can love this city, but maybe because you've been to Buenos Aires, you've been to London, you've been to so-and-so, you could say, oh, you know, like this is great, but London does this better because of so-and-so. <laughs> or like this is actually worse compared to blah, 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 blah. Right. And or so, at least you're probably thinking, you know, the seasons are different right now. It might be cooler or warmer somewhere else right now. Exactly. Like it becomes so much more difficult to settle down because you have something to compare it to. Mm-hmm. And if you compare it to somebody who grew up in a small town right. and that's where they've lived all their life and they've never traveled. Right. This is just reality. This is what it is. Uh-huh. And they can just embrace that. Whereas, you know, if you've traveled so much, it's like, oh, no, like, oh, it's winter right now. Well, actually, you know what? I'm going to go to the Caribbean. I'll, I'll see you guys in a few months. <laughs> yeah. I've never heard it called quite that before, but I am very familiar with the discontent. And it is a topic that comes up a lot in travel, for sure. So how much do you travel in a year? Give us some idea of, like, how much you travel, how much time you spend in the air, at airports, and all that good stuff. Yeah. So last year in 2018, I was on, I believe, 94 flights, traveling a total of 191,000 miles or something like that. It was definitely one of my higher years for travel, but I've pretty consistently been flying since I was a little bitty. I spent my first birthday overseas. I'm on planes as often as I am on most other forms of transportation. So I think it's safe to say I'm on the road a good amount. I probably... Head to the airport once every two weeks on average. During busy season, it's once every week. Slow season, maybe once every three and a half weeks. Wow. So you spend a lot of time at airports in the air. So I'm I'm really interested to dive into that because you probably know a lot of good stuff that I probably don't even know. (laughs) People think that I travel left with maybe 25 trips a year, 25, 30 or so, Mm -hmm. which I think is, you know, a decent amount. But 94 trips or close to 100 trips is like... Oh, well, it's not trips. It was specifically flights. So probably when you average it out, we might have been on about the same number of flights. Last year, I just happened to get a lot more miles because I was uh, traveling overseas pretty constantly. So I probably averaged two international trips every six weeks last year. That's not really typical for me, but for some of my coworkers, they easily traveled double what I did. So... That is a lot of miles in the air. I would say one of the things that really helps me personally, which may not work for other people, is I'm only 5'2", so I'm pretty petite. I fly economy a good amount, and I don't actually mind it. It's uncomfortable, but it's not miserable for me for the most part. So that is probably a big part of why I haven't gotten more into the premium travel, which is where things get really, really pricey. All that being said, I'm working through my taxes from last year, and I realized I spent $21,000 on United flights last year alone. So there's definitely a lot of business expense going toward my airfare. Man, I will say once you go premium, it's it's just hard to go back. It's really hard to go back. It is. 
I think it's just a human thing, you know, like our lives as they get better, it's just so hard to go back. Like you live in a nicer place. It's hard to go smaller. You drive a nicer car. It's hard to, you know, go back to the beat up car that you had in college. It's like what we were saying about the traveler's curse, right? Once you know that there are other options out there, it's really hard to go back to the mindset that you're content with what you have in front of you. That's why I I think once I have a kid, I'm just going to have that kid stay in economy as long as I can. Until they somehow earn it or pay themselves. That's a great point. Yeah. (laughs) Are you doing the types of behaviors that would allow you to sit in first class, kiddo? Yeah. Make sure you're well behaved. Make sure you're quiet. Make sure you're respectful. Make sure you know how to appreciate nice food like caviar. (laughs) Right. Which I still don't, I think, appreciate enough when I fly (laughs) premium. But that's a whole different story that maybe we can get into a little bit later. Well, we'll do it for a second podcast. So when you travel so much, how do you keep up with like your habits? How do you keep up with your routines, your fitness, exercise regimen, and all that stuff? Because I know personally, that's something I've always struggled with when it comes to travel uh, because it impacts most of my exercise, fitness, Mm -hmm. eating healthy. I used to have this mindset of, oh man, like, oh, this is kind of a nice escape. So Mm -hmm. I can now just, you know, eat extra cheesecake or this this restaurant. I'm never going to come back here. So I should totally indulge and whatnot. So how do you do all this stuff? Yeah, I think that's such an interesting question. And it's one that I've been wrestling with quite a bit the last couple of years. Like most people, I started my first job working closer to eight to six rather than nine to five these days. And, you know, paid time off was tracked based on how long I'd been there, how many I had in a year. And I hoarded my PTO very very carefully. And I had it very well allocated. So whenever I was on vacation, I was on vacation. I was there to splurge and there to spend time doing whatever I enjoyed. And as I was able to work my way into more of a lifestyle that I enjoyed, I realized there was a pretty big shift in front of me where I could carry a lot of expectations or discontent with me anywhere I went. And I just had to be really careful about how I chose to acknowledge and manage those expectations. So again, like we said with the traveler's curse, it is so easy to think, oh, it would be better somewhere else right now. And that's a dangerous path to go down no matter what you're doing in life. I've had to be really intentional about thinking, okay, my long-term goal is I'd like to be healthy and fit for my best mindset emotionally and mentally. So that does mean not drinking this third glass of wine or this free special liquor in this fancy lounge or eating that slice of cheesecake because I want it right now, but I'm not actually hungry or needing a dessert. I would say when it comes to working out from a very practical standpoint, I have a travel backpack that I've started carrying a bunch of those resistance rubber bands in. They are by far the easiest way for me to get in a good body weight resistance workout The number of times I've used them relative to the number of times I've carried it in my bag is a ratio I don't want to explain right here. But carrying them around has become my way of acknowledging to myself that whether or not I choose to make healthy decisions is in my control and not dependent on whether or not my hotel has a nice gym or whether or not I can do class pass or yoga or CrossFit or something like that wherever I'm going. One other way I've been building discipline into my everyday habits when I travel is just blocking off time as well on my calendar. It doesn't matter where I am or what I'm doing. If I'm on the ground or I have access to Wi-Fi, I try to make sure that I'm getting done what needs to get done that day and not just thinking in terms of a FOMO mindset of, oh, well, you know, I only have this much time to do X, Y, Z right now. 
like you said, I used to think very much, I'll never be back here again. I'll never get to do this again. So I need to do it now. And learning to recognize that mindset of scarcity and tell myself that, no, I am doing this now. I've done it before. I will get to do it again. Or recognizing the ways in which experiences are all very similar. I don't have to try one bite of every single thing that's in front of me. And learning to be more present with the people that are there sharing the experience with me has been a really big part of me being able to still get the same enjoyment and experience out of my travels now that I'm doing three to four times what I used to do. Interesting. Yeah. One tool that really helped me, especially when it comes to food and eating, like I love desserts. Anytime I go to like a nice place or even I'm part of like a bunch of supper clubs here in Austin. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I've realized is one of the things that they do is uh, before you start eating, They'll give you the menu and you have to rate the items before you start eating them, mm. guessing like which one you like the best. And typically dessert is always number one on my list. <laughs> <laughs> and I've realized from fasting, it has given me a lot of like empowerment to actually really enjoy and not ever feel guilty. So the whole uh. strategy is when I travel, there could be legitimate moments and times where you know the FOMO does definitely kick in mm-hmm. and say, I will probably not be back here. I might not have this dessert cake or whatever, ever. So I'm going to go for it. Mm -hmm. And then the way I make up for it is then when I come home, I will fast for 24, 48, 72 hours sometimes. Mm -hmm. And that kind of like is good enough to kind of reverse any sort of weight gain that you might get from eating. And fasting is actually pretty easy. The more you do it, the easier it gets. I like that. And so that was just a strategy that works for me, but that has given me a lot of like freedom and not having guilt. Right, right, right. Around like not missing out or whatever. For sure. And, you know, guilt is one of those emotional traits that really sets us back as people in general because guilt isn't productive. It keeps you from enjoying something that you do have. It makes you think about something you don't have or didn't do instead of focusing on how you can change that for the next time. So I really like that tip. And I think something similar that I do when it comes to fitness is the last thing I want to do half the time when I get back from a trip is go to the gym. But even from a pure practicality standpoint, carrying my suitcase, lifting it overhead, putting it in a bin, that is a lot of motivation for me to do workouts that involve kettlebells and more weight resistance that I wouldn't normally do. But having that goal in mind, this is what I want to be able to do with my body. This is what I want to do with my life and my just the opportunities available to me, just triaging which ones actually matter and which ones are more forgettable. That makes it a lot easier for me. So when you have a specific goal in mind, maybe it's like fitness related or just something personal, when you are traveling, do you still think about your goals? Does it kind of, is it kind of like out of sight, out of mind? Like how do you kind of like stay on top of these kind of things? Sure. I think for me personally, I actually have an easier time thinking about my goals, especially my long-term goals when I'm on the road. I think it's very easy to get in certain habits and comfortable circles with our friends when we're living in one place consistently. We've got our community. We've got our routine. For me, traveling disrupts that. And as an extrovert, I spend a lot of time by myself when I'm on the road, even if I'm with other people, because it's not the people I usually live with and travel with. So that actually puts my goals almost more in perspective and focus for me personally, because I'm thinking I am the only person responsible for what I'm doing here right now. If I go out, it's my choice. If I stay in, it's my choice. So it makes it very clear for me to see I am the only person in control of my own destiny and whether I succeed or fail is 100% in my own hands. Oh, interesting. Yeah, because I kind of get that feeling too where anytime I leave, uh, because I'm not chained to my own environment and it's completely new and different, 
I do get the sense that I have a different perspective mm-hmm. on my thinking, my goals, whatever I'm trying to do. But also with help of tools like thinking time where you set aside time to just think about challenges mm-hmm. or, you know, every Wednesday at, you know, four o'clock in the afternoon, I'm going to sit down and think for 30 minutes about mm-hmm. my goals. Like that is very intentional. You can kind of get the same perspective if you right. make it a routine. But I think there's something about travel that makes it definitely a lot easier. Right. If nothing else, before there was Wi-Fi on planes, you were forced to get offline and spend time with yourself or your books or something analog. That's why I will say I like T-Mobile because on most domestic flights, they offer free Wi-Fi. That's true. Do you have T-Mobile? I do. I do. They have a great international plan, by the way. So if you plan to travel frequently overseas, even if it's only Canada or Mexico, T-Mobile has one of the cheapest plans out there. There are a few different ways to hack that as well. That's a good separate topic, but... I pay $28 a month for 50 gigs of data a month and international roaming. Wait, what? Yeah, we can talk about that. Please, please <laughs> share. Sure. So it's a reasonably well-known secret, but T-Mobile has a small business plan. So if you and a few other people from your small company, your friend circles, family and friends get together and sign up for the T-Mobile work plan, There are a few different plans under that. My friend happens to have one that's very robust for all of us to use, but you can get varying degrees of data for every single person on your plan. And since you're splitting the plan, you average out to way less than what a typical person pays for their own family plan or personal plan. And T-Mobile offers, I believe, 2G in over 100 countries, just by default with your basic plan. If you frequently work overseas like both of us do, you can upgrade for $15 a month to, I think, 4G speeds overseas. Oh, nice. I, I sort of knew that, but I didn't know about the small business plan. So I'll yeah. have to look into that. So you could do a group plan, which is already a pretty good savings over the typical plan. But yeah, the small business is where it's at. I'll have to do more research for you on that. Yeah, because I like it for the same reasons you mentioned. Anytime I travel internationally, I used to hate getting new SIM cards, putting those in. Right. But with T-Mobile, you'll have like, it's not super fast, but you'll have fast enough right. speeds to use Google Maps to navigate yeah. or check Instagram if you want to. I'm a little biased as well, but I used to work for a Google vendor. So Google Fi is also a really great option if you're looking to either cut down on your costs or you spend a lot of time overseas and don't want to swap 90 different SIM cards at the same time. At the beginning of this year, I was using Google Fi and paying, I believe, $60 a month for pretty much unlimited data as well. They tether it after, I think, 22, 25 gigs a month, but it made me a little more aware of where I was spending my data, and it was pretty good coverage. I would say it had a little bit better cell service in the U.S. than T-Mobile did in Austin. So there's that as well to keep in mind. But it's very geographically specific. But whether you get good T-Mobile service in your area will probably have a lot to do with whether or not you chose that particular carrier. So when it comes to packing, as somebody who travels a lot, I love geeking out on packing because one of the most commonly gifted gifts that I have is packing cubes. Really? Because I think it's one of the most efficient ways to pack. Yeah. And I think most people could benefit from that. Mm-hmm. And uh, yes, you can roll. Yes, you can do all these you know, different little hacks you might have seen on YouTube. Yeah. But as somebody who's sitting in front of me who travels a ton, 
I'm curious to hear, especially as a woman, mm-hmm. like what do you pack? How fast do you pack? What are your packing tips? You know, if you only have like 10 minutes to pack because you woke up late, right. like what do you do? Right, right, right. So this is one area where my everyday life and my travel life are drastically different. I, like you, I love clothes. I'm kind of more on the, I enjoy thrifting. I love really unique pieces. And for me, a capsule wardrobe is just not very appealing when I have a place to live because I love seeing nine different options in the morning. That being said, when I travel, I have, I'm super picky about not spending time waiting for a checked bag if I can. So I pretty consistently travel for up to two weeks with just a single carry-on and one backpack, and that includes work outfits, formal work outfits, party outfits, casual clothes, dinner outfits. And one way in which I've been able to streamline all of that into a single backpack and small carry-on is by making sure that everything I bring does at least double duty. So I've got dozens of pairs of shoes at home, but probably about half a dozen make it out of the house ever in my suitcase. I usually will bring one pair of good-looking sandals that are really thin. They could work as flip-flops in a pinch. So I'm looking for something that's good leather, but not uh, that isn't afraid of like that's pretty water resistant. For instance, probably one pair of cute heels. I tend to gravitate toward wedges when I travel because you can walk for miles in those, but they still look really nice. One pair of cute sneakers that I can wear on the plane, but also to a casual dinner or something like that, and maybe a pair of flats, depending on what I'm packing. Usually I'll bring maybe two out of those four that I've just described. And I tend to pack shoes that are a little more durable as well, because travel is really hard on shoes. And if you're not willing to cram your socks into your sneakers to maintain the shape or something like that, you don't want to spend a lot of your extra space on shoe trees and other things that keep them nice. So for me, I gravitate toward leather a whole lot when I travel. It's durable. It looks decent depending on the finish of the leather. It's also reasonably water resistant as well. Any specific brands or, or like things that you really recommend or like? Uh, I recently got a pair of leather mules from Fry. So they look like nice. Yeah, they're just leather slides, but they'll work for anything from a dress to crawling into the pool somewhere at a W in Taipei or something like that. I'm a big fan of silken leather and wool. So those would be the main materials that I travel with. I think I tend to gravitate more toward materials because my style will change, but the maintenance of those fabrics doesn't really. And they're classic. They always look good. They're pretty fun to thrift too. So I have a generous collection of leather jackets, a lot of silk shirts that I can wear casually and tie them up or tuck them into a nice skirt. So very versatile materials, I think, make for a lot of different outfit options that still satisfy someone like me who will never wear, you know, the Steve Jobs uh, turtleneck and jeans over and over again. I will concur about wool. I don't wear silk at all. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's, yeah, maybe something I should look into as well, because I think it's more something that women wear. I think, yeah, for the most part. But definitely wool pants is like my favorite thing to bring mm-hmm. and to wear when I travel because one, they don't wrinkle. They don't wrinkle. Uh, they don't smell. And they're very durable as well for that mm-hmm. reason. So yeah. you don't have to iron it. You know, literally, like, it's just so easy. Right. The, the only downside of the wool pants is that they're a little thicker. Mm. So I always recommend wearing them to the airport for that reason. Yes. 
but you also have like you know the slim wool or yes. virgin wool that's a little thinner but uh, and it is also harder in climates that are warmer I definitely get that as well oh for sure yeah but I feel like when you're talking about packing as well, you very much have to take your lifestyle into consideration. I've recently cleaned out a lot of my old business casual outfits because I just don't wear them as much. And so I think dressing to fit the lifestyle brand that you project anywhere you go is also really important. So for you, the wool pants make a ton of sense. For me, silk makes a ton of sense. You know, if you lived somewhere wintry, you know, I would probably pack way more sweaters. I could bring cute ones or fun ones. But making sure that you're packing based on what you personally enjoy as well as the lifestyle you want to live is important. You can't just read somebody else's list of what to pack and go with that. Cause I don't see you, you know, wearing the same outfit day in day out either, but like those few signature pieces make it so much easier to wear black and gray the rest of the time. So do you use packing cubes at all? I personally don't use packing cubes, but that's also because I do roll up my clothes and put them all around my shoes and things like that. As a girl, I also have started carrying like my hair straightener around and I carry a little steamer with me. So usually it's whatever fits wherever it does. But I tend to use a lot of soft bags. So kind of packing cute, but not the dedicated ones. I'm not going so much for the square Tetris shape stuff. I'm going for making sure that I can quickly find what I need to find in different colored bags. So uh, there's a system, but it's not specific to cubes. I'm going to guess that when you started your business, it was because you had a vision. It was because there was a change you wanted to make, or you thought there was something you could do better than what was already out there. I'm going to guess that you didn't start your business to do admin tasks, type up contracts, or chase down late payments. If I'm right about this, then you need HoneyBook. HoneyBook is an online business management tool that organizes your client communications, bookings, contracts, and invoices all in one place. It makes it simple to run your business better. There are professional templates, e-signatures, and built-in automation, which you know we love here at The Productivity Show. HoneyBook keeps everything on track and makes you look good. That's why it's the number one choice for client and business management for freelancers and business owners. If you work with projects, HoneyBook has a really simple and intuitive projects pipeline feature. You can customize it with your own project workflow, And then even if you have multiple projects going on at the same time, you can see exactly where everything is as it moves through the process. And right now, HoneyBook is offering our listeners 50% off when you visit honeybook.com slash TPS. Payment is flexible, and this promotion applies whether you pay monthly or annually. Go to honeybook.com slash TPS for 50% off your first year. That's honeybook.com slash TPS. Thanks to Grammarly for supporting the Productivity Show. Grammarly is a communication tool that helps people improve their writing to be mistake-free, clear, and effective. They encourage everyone, even the best students and top professionals, to use Grammarly to do their best work and accomplish even more of their goals. Grammarly is a writing assistant that makes you look and sound smarter. You can easily improve yourself and your communication at school, work, and almost anywhere with Grammarly. When I'm hiring for Asian efficiency, big thing I look for is the ability to communicate. And in an online world, communication means writing. You want to show your best self, and Grammarly can help you do that. Here's how it works. There are browser extensions for Chrome, Firefox, Safari, and Edge. 
There's a Mac and Windows desktop editor, and you can even use it on mobile, on iOS, and Android. The free version of Grammarly reviews critical spelling and grammar, but Grammarly Premium will do that, plus also check advanced punctuation, structure, style within context, conciseness, vocabulary suggestions, and it will look out for readability in all sorts of different situations like business writing, academic essays, and casual blog posts. You accomplish your goals with help from Grammarly in the following ways. Stop making email typos on your phone. Close more deals at work this year with your emails. Polish your resume to get that new job. And sometimes I write something that is Grammarly correct, but Grammarly Premium then lets me know that it could be more concise. I love that feature. The clearer your writing is, the more effective it is. So go to Grammarly.com slash TPS to get 20% off your Grammarly Premium account today. That's Grammarly.com slash TPS for 20% off your Grammarly Premium account today. So when you roll and, and put stuff in your suitcase, first of all, what kind of suitcase do you have? I currently am rocking a rose gold away aluminum suitcase. Uh, carry on. I am in the small ma- minority of people who does not love away as much as everybody else does. I think they're pretty. They have fantastic customer service. Their products are very well designed, but I think they're kind of in an interesting in-between space where they're pretty pricey for what they like. You're paying a lot for the brand, but in terms of durability, they're still lacking quite a bit over the premium brand. So you're right smack dab in that middle space. But that's where the customer service comes in. They're really great about if anything goes wrong, they'll replace it for you. But for me, I kind of like my unique finishes and the special colors. So they're very limited edition. So when they take them back to replace it, you could get a black one again. So if you like a really consistent color scheme, like black or navy or gray, Away is absolutely a great brand to go with. If you like the more unique linings and stuff like that, if anything happens to it, you won't get to, you can't replace that specific lining you had. So, I, I remember a friend of mine had a unique away bag, and this was like really early on when when they didn't take over the world, mm-hmm. or at least U.S. airports. I, I would say. <laughs> and uh-huh. now, or at the time, he felt really unique. He thought it was right. cool. I was like, oh, you know, nobody has this like you know suitcase or carry on right. that I have. And literally now, at any airport you go to, you, you, every single flight, somebody will, or at yeah. least multiple people will have Away. <laughs> away has kind of become the coach of uh, luggage. So while it is a little bit of a splurge, it's also s- sort of generic now. So that's kind of what I'm thinking as well. So now, what do you do when you want to be unique or stand up? You get a different color or a different lining. I feel like a lot of times when I want to be unique, I I just kind of have to rely on personality. (laughs) I'm definitely joking a little bit here. But at the end of the day, I don't really mind that much what people in the airport think about me. I think if I'm rocking something that makes me feel good and I feel comfortable with and is efficient for me, I love it. That being said, yeah, it is hard to find something that stands out enough these days and doesn't get too worn too quickly. So I think all the effective travelers I know are constantly on the lookout for new products or something that catches their eye. Or on the other side of things, you know, suitcases are the turtlenecks and jeans as well. If you find something that works for you, buy the same color over and over again. One of my favorite personal brand people, Ramit Sethi, talks about spending recklessly on the things you care about and ruthlessly cutting out everything that doesn't matter to you. 
So for me personally, I think there isn't really a suitcase on the market right now that has everything that I would possibly want and love with the support I want alongside of it. So what I have is great and I love that. And if I find something better, I will move on to that. One of the things that I did to kind of like make it a little bit more unique is getting custom colored Bose headphones. Mm. I actually have them here, right there on the couch. Love it. They're in our company colors. But, um, oh, that's great. Because in the beginning, when the Bose QC25s at that time first came mm-hmm. out, you just knew like if somebody had that, mm-hmm. you, they were either, fancy. They were fancy, but also they were a frequent traveler, yes. most likely, because only frequent travelers would wear right. them. And now when you get on the plane, you'll see them everywhere. Everybody has them. Everybody has them. You can buy them at the vending right. machines at the airport. And everybody knows like they're really right. know, good, really useful. But I was like, no, I don't want to be like everybody else. So right. I got the custom color. But the reason we got them custom color was we had a company goal. And uh-huh. we had our company goal that everybody would get them. That's awesome. And so everybody was extremely motivated <laughs> to achieve our goals. And so we did. And so everybody had. I love that. Color. I was just on the website maybe a month or two ago, and you can customize everything now. Like you, so you're not just picking colors or trim. You can choose, okay, on this side, I want this color. On that side, I want that color. You can monogram it. It's I really like personalizing. Yeah, same thing with uh, like luggage. You can do that. Right. Uh, shirts, luggage, dress shirts. Luggage tags. Right. Like There's so many things you can do that kind of like personalize mm-hmm. the way you travel. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's part of what I enjoy about thrifting as well. I've been able to thrift in countries I've visited. I don't want souvenirs, but I do want to take back something unique that's from that area. So I've gotten gorgeous wool coats from Argentina. I've gotten beautiful leather from Italy. So I think for me, that's a little bit how I personalize as well. So again, the jacket is approximately the same, but the story that I carry with it is mine and mine to tell. So I think that's one thing I enjoy a lot about what I do. So you mentioned earlier how every single thing that you pack has double duty. Mm-hmm. And that's how you're able to go on a two-week trip with the same carry-on and mm-hmm. backpack. So do you have like a special toiletry bag too? Or like is there anything other specialty things that you have? Sure. I think I live in Texas, which is really dry and hot. And I travel to Taiwan or other very humid tropical places a lot. So... It sounds kind of weird, but making sure you have a moisturizer that works for both, it makes it a little easier for your skin to adjust to changes in temperature and climate. That way you're not you know, dealing with the stress of jet lag and exhaustion and also dealing with different breakouts and stuff like that as well. So making sure you've got a good lotion that works for any environment you're in as well as with your skin, to me is really important. For toiletry bags, I would say there isn't a brand that I would specifically recommend, but I think people should always focus on making sure that their stuff is accessible. So I really like the wide mouth bags or something where you can see what's inside because the truth of the matter is we pack a bunch of things thinking we'll use it. And if it's not immediately by your hand accessible, you know what it is and you remember what it is, you're not going to use it. So I've carried a bunch of little samples before, like face wipes, and I forget about them because they're not part of my everyday routine. So the more you travel, the more you should focus on making sure what you have at home is the same as what you take overseas with you. So a lot of frequent frequent travelers bring their own shampoos, conditioners. It doesn't matter how nice the amenities are in the hotel you're going to. If it's not like home, it really starts to wear on you eventually. So having a little bit of that sense of home anywhere you go in the good sense makes traveling easier. 
I would also say from an efficiency standpoint, if you travel a ton or if you have multiple homes, like if you like your electric toothbrush, keep one at home and keep one in your travel bag. That way you don't forget one in one place and have to switch back and forth. So if you're really starting to spend a lot of time on the road, invest in certain items that you have duplicates of and keep one in your travel bag always. I always carry an extra duffel bag with me just tucked into the liner of my carry-on just in case I want to carry my jacket home separately or I pick up some souvenirs or even food. That way I have an extra bag on hand. I don't have to buy something that doesn't work for me, but it packs down small enough that it doesn't really cut into the rest of my limited baggage allowance. Yeah, that's a great tip. I have like a nylon duffel bag as well that mm-hmm. you can just fold and it can all wrinkle and stuff and be totally fine. Right. And I used it on my last trip when I came back from the Netherlands because I wanted to bring back candy and cookies. That and you I brought can- back a bunch of ice wine as well. <laughs> well, that was from Canada. Yeah. yeah. That was a different trip. Oh, okay, right, right. <laughs> I, luckily, I had this duffel bag with me. So I literally packed like 12 kilos, which is like 25 wow. pounds. Of cookies and candies. <laughs> the way you back. do love dessert. I do love <laughs> sugar. I love sugar. And that's so funny considering I eat pretty keto. So I have to like indulge whenever I can. Oh man. Go the opposite end to kind of like be okay. Yeah. I think those are the sorts of things that people who don't travel as much may not learn until they've had to hit up, until they've run into that obstacle a couple of times. But having an extra bag on hand never hurts. So those like super durable fold up shopping bags that a lot of like REI Patagonia offer, they literally fit in the size of a pocket, but you can pop them out, carry anything in them. So handy to have. Always a good idea to have a few of those around. So when you travel so much, do you work on the plane as well? Or do you like work at the airports or like in the backseat of an Uber? Like how do you get work done? (laughs) I really try not to work in the backseat of Ubers. They're so uncomfortable. I do work a good amount on planes. And this is another thing where your personal lifestyle has a lot to do with how you're going to work as well. I used to work in sales. You can't make phone calls on a plane and you really shouldn't, even if you could. So for that sort of thing, I triage. I make sure I'm getting done all the busy work, the talking work, the need to be connected work when I'm on the ground. And then when I'm in the air, if I have fast working Wi-Fi, fantastic. But if not, I've got everything saved in Google Docs offline, or I use that time specifically to work on reading a self-development book or something I'm enjoying lately. Like I make sure that it's very conscious time different from how I usually work. So there's a little bit of delineation there as well. Because I think when you're on the road as often as we both are, there's no longer much of a distinction between work travel and personal travel. It's so easy to just keep working all the way through, especially as an entrepreneur, that it's important to block off moments for yourself where you recognize I'm on right now, I'm off right now, I'm completely unplugging right here, or I'm still on the road, I'm still working. Sometimes I've been known to get off of a plane, get back into a lounge and finish whatever assignment I was working on and send that before I leave. Or sometimes I'll plan around rush hour. If I land at 5 p.m. somewhere, it's not worth my time to sit in a car and be frustrated and pay extra if I have to get work done anyway. So in those cases, I'll grab a free drink from a lounge that I'm in and hang out there, get my stuff done and then leave at 6.30 for dinner and unplug for the rest of the day. So you are pretty flexible. In terms I'm pretty of- flexible. And I think most people have both more flexibility than they think they do, but also less responsibility than they pressure themselves to do. 
So one great thing about traveling is it really forces you to triage what is and is not important and getting more intentional about importance versus urgency is a really great thing that travel's done for me. So instead of feeling like I have to respond to everything that I'm told to do immediately, learning to recognize what is the top priority and working down from there is one way in which working on the road is helpful. So what does your tool set kind of look like? Do you use like a to-do list app, pen and paper, a notebook? Yeah, I'm a really big fan of the Asana app slash website. I use it kind of as a glorified checklist, but it's actually a task management tool for businesses, organizations, groups. I usually work with just my laptop. I use a 13-inch MacBook Pro and my cell phone. So if I've got good cell connection, I can tether to my laptop, have most of the software I either need downloaded on the computer or in the cloud, and I make sure there are backups of literally everything. I was a professional photographer for 16 years, and the world will end if you lose your client data. So I very quickly learned to back up all of my files in the cloud, and I still do that these days. I've had so many technical malfunctions or just straight up equipment dying while I was traveling, but for the most part, I haven't lost anything super major in a long time just because I got in a good habit of backing up. So what does your backup system look like? Um, kind of depends on what I'm backing up. For documents, it's really easy to use. Google Drive. I used Flickr for years and years for photos. I have almost 200,000 photos on Flickr since 2004. Uh, but it's not necessarily the most efficient for utilizing in a business sense, especially if I'm sending files back and forth to clients. So Dropbox is okay, but still not incredibly image forward. But Google Drive is pretty consistently something that I love and use. So I can say yeah, that's so my top one right now. Use like a lot of Google Docs and Google A lot issues. of Google Docs. Yeah. I'm a pretty big fan of Slack right now. I use it for work. I use it for a couple of different organizations that I support. I really love the feature where you can send yourself messages and notes because it's just like a little scrap pad almost that you can access from any device, any computer you can log on to Slack for. You can send yourself images. A lot of times I transfer photos back and forth there. It's faster than even using Google Drive every now and then. So Now, one of the things that I know a lot of people always have questions about is airports. So you mentioned earlier how you use a lounge. Mm-hmm. So how do you get access to the lounge? Do you pay for it? Do you have a membership? Like, how do you get access to that? Do you just look pretty and be nice? <laughs> what do you got to do to get in? If only. So lounges are kind of another one of those well-kept secrets in plain sight that a lot of people hear about but don't necessarily have a lot of insight into. So... A lounge is just a privately owned space, sometimes by an airline, sometimes by a separate company, where you can go inside of an airport and hang out. They usually have some snacks, some drinks, both alcoholic and non-alcoholic, get some coffee, tea, water, just a quieter space to get away from like screaming children by the gates or constant hubbub of people rushing to and fro and getting lost and you know, baggage claim is very noisy. So... Most of the major carriers like United, American, Delta, a lot of the overseas carriers all have their own proprietary lounges. And most of the time, the way you get access to that is by having elite status with the airline. So you have to fly X number of miles a year with them or spend a certain dollar amount or both in order to get access. 
But with certain premium credit cards, sometimes it comes as a as a perk built into that. If you're a card holder, they waive all the requirements for you know three thousand dollars spend, twenty five flights flown in the year, and you'll be able to get access that way. Priority Pass is actually one of the most popular ways that the standard traveler gets around and gets to hang out in one of these lounges. There are over 1,200 Priority Pass lounges around the world. Most of them are overseas, but there's a decent number here in the U.S. as well. And it's just a membership that you can pay for. I believe it's somewhere like it's somewhere in the several hundred dollars per year, but it's well worth it if you travel consistently. And there are a few credit cards also that offer Priority Pass membership to cardholders. So you might be paying $450, for instance, for a specific credit card, but it gets you that $500 Priority Pass membership for the year. So for most people, it's a no-brainer. If you go to the airport consistently, you can use it. We don't have Priority Pass here in Austin, but we do have the American, the United, and the Delta Sky Club Lounge. So, yeah. Yeah, I'm... I'm a user of the American Express Platinum, which mm-hmm. I think comes with that. Comes with Centurion Lounge Access as well as uh, Delta Sky Clubs whenever you're flying Delta. Yeah, so that's the one I personally use the most. But mm-hmm. I have kind of a love-hate relationship with lounges because it's in some ways I also think sometimes they're a little bit overrated mm-hmm. because at certain airports at least you can literally just, you know, sit there for 10 minutes and then gate, go right. the gate and you're, you're fine as well. Right. Or like here in Austin, you know, there are so many fun things to do and actually great restaurants that it's not that big of a deal to have, you know, an extra step and flight of stairs to go up. Yeah. I love eating at Salt Lake at yeah. the Austin airport. We had Taco Deli in the Austin airport yet or no. Fly Right. Both are really good. I eat there pretty often. I, you know, Taco Deli quite often, especially now that they're a yep. couple blocks from me now. But <laughs> Yeah, it is great. So it is very case by case dependent. I think for people who really care about the prestige Especially if you're going to the Centurion lounges or the first class business class flagship lounges, like American Airlines has a beautiful one in Dallas. It's good for networking, but you also shouldn't be looking at lounges as a place to network, which some people do, because at the end of the day, everybody else is also trying to get away and take a little break before they get on a long flight. So it is not as great of a social environment as you might think. But that being said, Being on the road a ton, if you know consistently what kind of food you're going to be getting in a lounge, it's also nice. And when you're in a really big airport and trying to find a little bit of peace and quiet to get something done before you hop on a flight in 30 minutes, lounges are great. The Wi-Fi tends to be a little faster. They have nice service. Hopefully, it's kind of hit or miss. And then you also just have a little bit of an environment where everybody else is as focused as you are for the most part. Because usually the people who are in there are either business travelers or fairly wealthy families whose kids are pretty consistently in lounges, so they know how to behave a little better than the average traveler. But I don't disagree with you. Lounges can be overrated, and I don't think you should pay for them for the most part. There are so many ways to get access without having to shell out money that, yeah, just kind of see what fits your lifestyle the best. I think they're overrated, I would say, in the U.S. Now, Mm -hmm. if you fly premium, and you fly overseas, then I think the lounges are totally worth it. Right. And of course, it depends on how long your layovers are as well or what airport you're in. Like the Amsterdam airport's really fun. There's a lot of stuff to see and do. And it's actually almost more work to go and find a lounge than it is just explore. It's like a giant shopping mall. 
Yeah. And uh, one time I flew the Singapore suites mm-hmm. and I didn't notice at the time, but when I arrived at the first class lounge, they told me that there's a special lounge mm-hmm. in there's like a secret yep. room just for people who fly the suites. And yes. then I found out about it. I was like, oh, yeah, I want to be here. Right. This right, is like right, a Michelin right. star restaurant. Exactly. So it's very case dependent. I think lounges are kind of a way that airlines have been able to help bridge that coach class experience to passengers and give them more of an aspirational taste of like, hey, you could do this in business. Or the AA flagship lounge in Dallas is primarily for business travelers and they have a section specifically for first class travelers. So even within that, it's that same sort of experience of exclusivity within exclusivity. So if you're the kind of person who cares about premium experiences, something that's special and unique, a lot of the higher end lounges definitely offer that. On the lower end, it's not worth $500 a year to you know hang out in a separate pen with everybody else. So talking about premium, how do you get upgraded? How do you get upgraded? Same sort of thing applies with upgrades as well as with the lounges. For the most part, Upgrades happen for travelers who spend a ton, which makes a lot of sense from a business perspective. If you don't spend you know, $25,000 a year with the airline, there's not really a lot of incentive for them to uh, give you free stuff as well. But So the whole myth of wearing a suit and no, being No, that's nice. pretty outdated these days, especially because airlines now are almost always booking their flights to just slightly over capacity. So if there are any last minute first class seats, those are definitely going to travelers who have way more status than you do. So for instance, I have United 1K status, which is the highest tier you can earn without uh, being invited to a special global, global services group with United. But even so, traveling to top destinations like New York or San Francisco, or even coming back to Austin from either of those places, it's pretty hard for me to get upgraded because there are so many people who are ranked based on you know higher spend, their global services, they are friends or family of someone highly important. It is possible to get upgraded based on great behavior or good sob story, but the chances are just really low because there are a lot of people who are higher up on that hierarchy than you are. You're also more likely to get upgraded within the U.S. or within on domestic flights than you are for an international flight because those flights cost so much more and someone almost certainly has paid more for their flight than you have. So they would get top priority on those upgrades. That being said, there's always exceptions. So it never hurts to be really nice to dress decently and just be a pleasant person to be around. So what do you wear to the airport if you don't really care about being upgraded and stuff? Yoga pants with pockets that fit my passport really well. (laughs) So you dress for comfort. I tend to dress for comfort. I try to hit that sweet spot of, you know, looking looking cute and presentable, but definitely comfort. Stretch is great for a 14-hour flight, especially these days if you don't know you're going to get delayed or not. It's nice to just have a little bit of extra wiggle room. But they there are a lot of really nice premium athleisure brands now that make beautiful slacks. I know Lululemon makes the ABC travel pants. They look like slacks and they feel like, you know, workout pants. There's similar tops and entire brands dedicated to that for like travel dresses, travel jackets, um, anywhere apparel is one, anatomy is one, beta brand is all over Facebook ads. I haven't tried them yet, but I think 
just about every other woman in my age range has been targeted with those ads. So yeah, there's, it's a huge market that a lot of people are really trying to get into right now. We're past the days where everybody travels in suits, especially with people who are doing the type of lifestyle consulting or entrepreneurship that you and I are. It doesn't necessarily make sense to wear a suit, but you still want to look your best and wear something that fits who you want to portray yourself as. Yeah, I definitely go for the, I would say, dressed up but low-key comfortable mm -hmm. look. Yeah. So, for example, instead of wearing regular jeans, I'll wear the diesel jog jeans because they have yep. a stretch in them. And yep. they're actually sweatpants, but right. you could never tell when you look at them. And then, for example, if I wore a sport coat, it definitely mm -hmm. has, it's either a reversible sport coat. Yep. So it has like two functions. Mm -hmm. Or it's a natural fabric like wool. Right. So it doesn't like wrinkle, blah, right. blah, blah, blah. Same thing with pants. Again, right. wool pants is the way to go. I know Bonobos has like a special fabric mm -hmm. that they use for like travel clothing yes. and suits and stuff that I really like as well. Right. Uh, I don't wear it that often, but uh, the times I've do have worn, I was like, oh, yeah, this right. is actually pretty nice. Right, right, right. At the end of the day, I believe generations before us talk about dressing up as a sign of respect for other people and, you know, like yourself and the brand you're representing. And it's really cool to see all of these different companies helping us figure out a way to think of comfort and appearance rather than comfort or appearance. Okay, so before um, I get into some of your travel tips when it comes to traveling solo, mm -hmm. especially as a woman, I know a lot of people who are listening are female, want to travel solo or mm -hmm. want to know how you do it. I have a couple of rapid fire questions yeah, that go I want to go over. I want to go over. So, what is your favorite domestic airline and why? Sure. So, I actually enjoy the experience I get on Delta the most, but I very consistently fly Southwest the most and have done that since 2013. And the single reason for that is because of the Southwest Companion Pass. So Southwest has a whole bunch of other really, really helpful perks that are unique to this airline. You can check two bags for free. You can change your flights. You get a refund if you overpaid or if you find a more expensive flight, you need to change dates, you only pay the difference. So it's very generous, it's very customer friendly, but even all of that is not enough to keep me loyal, the companion passes. So if you earn 100,000 Southwest Rapid Rewards points in a calendar year, you earn the companion pass for the remainder of that year as well as the following year. So if I earned 110,000 points this year, through the end of 2019 and all the way through 2020, I can take one designated person of my choice on any flight that I fly on Southwest. So this applies to reward flights as well. So last year I took my baby cousin to New Orleans for the very first time. I spent 8,000, ooh, maybe less. I think I spent um, 5,000 rapid rewards points round trip, which is about a 120 bucks equivalent and flew both of us there and back. And you, I couldn't even have driven to New Orleans for how cheap that was overall. And I've been able to do that for well over uh, 200 flights since 2013. So I probably spend about $1,500 maybe with Southwest every year. I get most of my travel through points and I earn my points through credit cards. So most of my travel on Southwest is free. So while I might ex enjoy my experience on Delta more, my flight is free and I like free. How about its favorite international airline and why? Ooh, I flew Singapore Air one time 
back when I was a baby traveler learning to get more into premium cabins and airlines. And that was a great experience. I'm flying Singapore again toward the end of November. And they just, they get it right. They have good service. They have good food. Their seats are a little wider. Everything is just great. And I actually don't think I've flown Emirates or Etihad or any of the other Middle Eastern carriers yet. So I'm really looking forward to flying those and comparing them as well as in premium cabins. But you mentioned Singapore suites. You know what I'm talking about. Even for economy, they treat people so well. Yeah, I like how they always walk by and call me, hey, Mr. Fan, would you like blah, blah, blah. Right. It's <laughs> just little touches of customer service make all the difference. Okay, so top three favorite airports. Ooh, well, we talked about this one as well, but the Singapore airport is actually a marvel to behold. I have a 16-hour layover in November, and I plan to spend a decent amount of it in the airport. Highlights include there is a three-story slide. There's a butterfly garden. They just built out this ridiculous greenhouse, basically, within the airport. It's just literally one of the world wonders of our modern day. I'm also kind of partial to Austin. It's definitely not a premium airport, but... It is working so hard to keep up with all the growing number of people moving here every day. I think it does a really good job of being very true to its roots in that it's not trying to be a giant airport, but it's also not ashamed of what it is. They focus on bringing in only local restaurants. They have live music and local musicians that get to come in and perform. Customer service is always as good as you would you know, want to hope for from a little Texas city. They do a great job with what they have available. And third final one, I'm definitely only talking about my biases here, but I grew up in Taiwan. So Taipei is always going to be my home airport. And it's so much better than it used to be. The bathrooms are clean now. There's really, really good food courts in the Taipei airport. So I'm always really happy to go there and public transport into Taipei or elsewhere on the bullet train is so easy. So definitely biased, but those are my three favorites. How about favorite hotel? Favorite hotel. Favorite hotel is whichever one gives me a decent place to sleep. <laughs> um, hotel chains. I've spent a lot of time with the Marriott brand in the last couple of years, but Hyatt has come through for me a couple of different times. I booked the Taipei Hyatt on points last minute over this past New Year's, and they did a great job. Food was fantastic. I got $600 a night value out of my points. So really good, solid program. And I have another one. I stayed at the Grand Hyatt Athens this past summer. Also a great experience. Very affordable. Service was impeccable. I'm going to the St. Regis Maldives in November for that big trip. And I'm super stoked about that one. So Nice. I love I love those answers. And I'll have to kind of look into Taipei Airport again because I think... <laughs> I think that was the first airport where I've ever seen where when you sit down on the toilet that it changes the, and uh, not the, like that little seat warmer. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has the like a little like protective layer. Yeah. It has a yes. protective layer and it rotates. Yes. I think it's very that was automated. F- I think it's the first airport where I've ever seen that. <laughs> and that's the first memory that came to mind. That's so, great. All the little details. I really want to talk about this particular topic because I know, again, a lot of people who are listening are females. They always tell us, hey, we want to get more females on the mm-hmm. productivity show. So I'm really happy to have you here today. But specifically about traveling as a female, especially solo. Right. Because I think there's a lot of like, 
barriers or at least in, in people's minds barriers mm-hmm. to traveling solo as a woman you know you have to think about your safety you have to think about all sorts of different things like how do you approach travel as a solo woman yeah i think a lot of what we perceive to be dangerous has to do with exposure to whatever experience that is so i'm particularly fortunate that I grew up traveling constantly as a kid. I remember my mom taking all four of us back and forth between Texas and Taiwan when I was young, me and my three brothers. So I think for me, it became very normalized to a certain extent. That being said, I don't think that traveling solo as a woman is something that's exclusive to someone with as much privilege as I had growing up or someone who has a lot of money or is you know, a black belt in something. It's very much a sense of awareness of what makes you comfortable and uncomfortable versus just developing a really good sense of danger and what is truly a threat is highly important. And I would say that more so for being in the U.S. or familiar environments than anywhere else. So fun fact, some statistics have shown that the U.S. is one of the top 10 most dangerous countries for women, just based on like assault and other statistics like that. Obviously, there are multiple different ways to look at that data, but I always look at that statistic as a good reminder that just because something is very familiar to us does not make it less safe. Like New York can be one of the most dangerous places to walk around solo at night. So anywhere you go, you have to bring your sense of intuition and trusting your gut with you and also balance that with a healthy dose of recognizing when to let go, when your anxieties and your fears are getting in the way of you being present and actually living your life. That being said, from practical standpoints, I would say the same sort of tips apply to women, solo travelers anywhere in the world, like whether you're walking through Central Park at night or, you know, an alleyway somewhere in Asia. It's probably a good idea to not wear headphones at night. Make sure you're staying somewhere really well lit. Just be aware of your surroundings know where you want to go, have the address ready to go and have the maps downloaded, even if you don't have data. And always make sure that someone trusted has your contact information and knows approximately when you're supposed to be aware. So like send a family member or your best friend, your itinerary, a copy of your passport, and tell them that if they don't see you on social media or hear from you in 36 hours to check in at XYZ place, something like that. But those are all very common sense behaviors that I think we can get very sloppy about when we're in our homes or our cities, places that we're familiar with, and over panic about just because it's uncomfortable. I would say one of the bigger challenges, actually, is just making sure that your wallet and your ID and your passports and stuff like that are safe. It's way easier to lose your passport than to be mugged or something along those lines. So making sure you've got backups, checking constantly for your keys and your passports, having a dedicated place in your bags that you put your passport and make sure you always put it back in the same place. I would say I've lost important documents way more often than I've been in actual tangible danger. The most dangerous place, edgiest place I've been lately was Cape Town, South Africa over the end of January this year. And I would say, listen to what the locals say and heed their advice. Most places in the world, I love going out and wandering by myself and exploring at night. Everybody from friends to the hotel concierge was like, don't go out at night by yourself. It doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. If you're a foreigner, you're an easy target. 
So I heeded that advice. And if I wanted to go somewhere, I would call a ride share. I wouldn't even grab a taxi right outside. But just little things like that where you're using your brain, you're recognizing that if you take a ride share, there's a trackable record of that. People can look through your history. They can contact Uber and find out where you went and stuff like that. I think that's all just really helpful to have. And recognizing that the onus is on you to keep yourself safe. It's not your tour guide or your company or your hotel's job to track what your address or location is. Making sure you have that information readily readily accessible is a huge part of safety anywhere. Like At the end of the day, you're responsible for what you want to get done, where you want to be, how you want to get there. And nobody else can really answer those questions for you. And finally, I would say it does help to travel with friends from time to time. Like sometimes I've done trips where I'm solo most of the time, but I'll meet up with somebody for dinner or I'll visit another city and touch base with a friend who's there as well. So traveling solo is fantastic. It's a great way to find yourself and get that quality time we don't usually spend with ourselves. But breaking it up a little bit is also really helpful. And one random tip I will give, if you are in a bar and somebody is bothering you, making you feel harassed or unsafe, finding a female bartender and just making an excuse to like go to the bathroom or grab a bartender, just find somebody who looks like they're in charge there, be it a manager, be it another woman, something like that, and say, hey, I need you to pretend you're my friend for a little bit. Uh, this person's bothering me. Really, really helpful tip that I picked up on Reddit. Haven't had to use it yet, but it's always really cool to see places where they're aware of that. There even are specific bars sometimes that will say, hey, if you have an issue, give us this code word, order this quote unquote drink, and we'll come help you out. Oh, I didn't even know that. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, I thought it was a really great way to help other people explore the world and enjoy and recognize that we're all connected. So we all need to step up sometimes for other people and just being aware of when other people might need help as well is a really helpful tactic. I love that. And I really enjoyed our episode today. Uh, if people want to find out more about you, Catherine, and what you're up to and what you're doing now, where should they go and find you? Yeah, I would love that. I'm always doing something ridiculous. You can find me by looking under our list of authors on the point guy. You can Google me. Uh, it's just Catherine Fan, K-A-T-H-E-R-I-N-E. -E. My last name is Fan, like a sports fan, so F-A-N. Or you can find me on Instagram. I'm Catherine Fangirling. Yeah, we'll have links to all of that in the show notes as well, so people Perfect. can easily find you. So. Awesome. Thanks, Tan. This was really fun. This was really fun. Thank you for being on the show today. Of course. We'll talk soon. At Asian Efficiency, we believe that you shouldn't have to sacrifice your personal life to get things done. You should be able to get everything done in the time you have. That's why we built a productivity quiz to help you maximize the time you have, increase your energy, and get you more focused. We've helped tens of thousands of people increase their productivity, and within two minutes of taking a productivity quiz, we'll show you exactly what you need to do next to increase your productivity. To take the quiz, just go to theproductivityshow.com quiz. Again, that URL is theproductivityshow.com slash quiz. Don't let your never-ending to-do list drag you down and stop sacrificing your health and family to get things done. Take the quiz today. You'll be on your way to becoming superhuman productive. You can also find links to everything we discussed today in the show notes by going to theproductivityshow.com slash 271. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving us an iTunes review or star in Overcast. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next Productive Monday.